for people that want to take this this idea and run with it, my recommendation is yeah, having a pitch that A is creative and unique and to your story. Mm-hmm. And then definitely you want to mention the way that people can pay you as part of the pitch, in addition to having sign it, mentioning it, reinforcing it again right before the show ended. Sometimes if a host was a close friend or someone that was a big supporter of the, of the band, we would ask them if they were willing to get on the mic and really drive that point home, which helped a lot. Oftentimes, if we checked all those boxes, our donation-based shows would be close and sometimes as profitable as our ticketed shows. Once we like mm. really figured out what all those key components were, these people were real fans. It's not like Spotify listeners where you're like, ah, I don't know if this person actually knows who we are. Mm-hmm. At these shows we were playing, there on average be 30 people and we'd get to talk to all of them and hang out with all of them. We probably get, were played in front of 1,500 people opening for a big act. You could play one mm-hmm. venue show in front of that many people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the amount of like true fans that we came out of, out of those 1,500, I think the percentage is very high. This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads and you keep a hundred percent of your royalties check out districtkid.com what's going on welcome to the new music business i'm your host ari herstand author of how to make it in the new music business the book today my guests are teo and tommy from the band more fatter more fatter they have this song weirdo that uh was one of my um quarantine standout songs that was uh the one that i would be dancing around my apartment to with my fiance and actually at the time we were just uh dating and yes by the way i'm engaged um and uh they had one of our our standout quarantine songs um i've known these guys for a few years they're actually uh, ari's tech academy alumni uh and uh went through a couple of our our programs and got agent representation and all that stuff anyway um the headline of this of this episode which is extremely impressive is that they did a house concert or i guess I should say a backyard concert tour in the summer of late summer of 2021 last summer and 45 dates they booked it themselves uh most of the cities they'd never visited before and they made they revealed they made around fifty thousand dollars from just in two months from these shows which is incredibly impressive i don't care who you are for a band that uh does not have a massive online presence has not visited these shows before set this whole thing up by themselves the first time they'd ever done it very, very impressive feat. And we talk about this entire episode on how they did it and their takeaways. So if you're thinking of ever doing a house concert show in any capacity, you're going to learn something from this. And so this episode is for you. And go check out their music while you're at it. Listen to the song Weirdo. That's a that's a fun one. You can find More Fatter on all the socials. Just look them up. Uh, you can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find me at Ari Herstand on Instagram and Twitter. 
please subscribe to this show. However you're listening to this right now, hit that subscribe or follow or like button. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you can. That would be super helpful. Those really, really help. And leave a comment on YouTube. If you're listening to this on YouTube, give us that up thumb. And I try to answer most of the comments there. I read the reviews, all that good stuff. Visit Ari'sTake.com and get on that email list. That is where we send all the most relevant, most important information. All right, let's kick into the show. Teo, Tommy, more fatter. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thanks for having us, Ari. Yeah. Um, The people that are just listening and not watching this, um, not watching the video, this is going to completely miss you. But I'm very curious. um, Are those like state swimming trophies that you have behind you, Taylor? Or what are we looking at here? All kinds of trophies. (laughs) And medals? Man. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You're such a champion. I I think this is the combination of all my siblings, including me. So we've got okay. running, uh, we've got some soccer, we've got some tennis, nice, uh, a lot of sports. Wow, a lot of, lot of victories. Tails brother, what- he doesn't. He doesn't. I I always share this. So sorry. Uh-huh. Tails' uh, older sister was an Olympian in 2016. So what? The trophies are. Yeah, I guess they're, they're mostly her then. Well, let's give her a shout. What is she? Is she Olympian for what? Uh, she runs the. She ran the 800 meters for France in uh, in Rio in the Brazilian Olympics. Are you French? In the Olympics that were in Brazil. Uh, yeah, I was I was born in France. All right. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, um, and and what's her name? If we her name is Justine Fedronic. All right. Cool. So uh, we'll be staring star. at Justine's trophies and medals and awards throughout most of this. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, nice. So uh, the headline, the the reason that uh, I'm so excited to talk to you guys today, and I think that you're going to help a lot of uh, the listenership, um, your two-month backyard concert that you did around the States this summer um, I was fortunate enough to catch the one of the one of the final shows uh, in mm-hmm. LA in a, a, a actually a front yard a, a, or a porch. I guess it was a porch concert in Highland Park, um, yeah. and really cool. And I, I, you know, I've done my fair share of of uh, house concerts and and you know living room backyard that kind of stuff. But because you know the circumstances, and this is still you know this was summer twenty twenty one last summer, and so. There was still a lot of uh, hesitancy of going indoors. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess step me through the process of, of how you set this thing up, um, when, how you booked it, when you went about it, and then just how it went. Yeah, the, uh, starting, with the pro- starting with the process, we, sure. we initially came up with the idea in, I, I think it was 2020. Yeah, it was fall 2020. That okay. was when we. Oh yeah, you're right. That's when we first kind of had the idea and wanted to make it happen at mm-hmm. some point during mm-hmm. during the pandemic, and we started putting it into place a little bit actually that fall, and then okay, COVID putting it into really place t- meaning you started like trying out the backyard concert idea or just uh, sending out some feelers. Mostly, Tommy and I posted up at a cafe and just started tracing this awesome route around the U.S. And we were <laughs> That's like, the most yeah, fun part about it, right? This can happen. <laughs> but I, it was yeah. right around the time that COVID got especially bad that that fall of mm-hmm. 2020. So we just decided to scrap it. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, that's when the kind of seeds were planted. I mean, it had been a while since we played music for people. And I think we were, we had a couple tours canceled throughout the pandemic, mm-hmm. like venue tours. And I think at mm-hmm. that point we were just starting to think, okay, like once things calm down, how can we just start playing music mm-hmm. again? Like that was okay. a priority at that point. And we did put out feelers that fall, I remember. And we were getting mm-hmm. pretty positive responses from people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at that point, we were thinking, <laughs> even though we put it on hold, we were like, okay, this is something that we can do in the future. And then that spring in 2021, when COVID was calming down a bit, vaccines were starting to starting to be available. Mm-hmm. That's when we were like, okay, we can go big with this. Because mm. in the fall of 2020, we were originally just thinking like West Coast, yeah. even just California. Sure. Um, and kind of getting positive responses. And then in conjunction with COVID, getting more under control, we, we were like, let's actually do it. Yeah, I think it was in April um, when all of us had been, va- all four of us had been vaccinated. And we, you know, all that indoor time, it had just been brewing. And we were mm-hmm. like, let's go big. Let's Mm -hmm. go big. So uh, I think in April we decided, you know what, let's try to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Our first step was um, we put together this roadmap um, and made a post saying we were looking for hosts in, in all these places. Mm. So we didn't have anything at that point. We just had a bunch of cities and a bunch of dates that we weren't set on, but that kind of placed it in time for people. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we, we didn't know if this was the right approach. I've had, you know, I have some, we, we both have some mutual m- music friends who have planned, um, house show tours by first reaching out and saying, you know, is there anyone out there who wants to host a show? But we kind of flipped it. We were like, this is where we want to be July 5th. This is want, where we want to be July 20th. And sure. I think that helped like you know, people, it helped people go like, okay, well this weekend of August. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't have anything else going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, when we did that, that was a good way to have things structured. To be honest, we didn't actually get that many responses from that initial mm-hmm. launch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, the next step that we took was really just tapping into our networks um, to find, to try to lock in individuals for each specific date. Yeah. And, um, and what do you mean by that? You mean by like, Hey, do do the four of us know anybody in Houston? Do we know anyone in Philadelphia? Do we know anyone? And then like, oh yeah, my great aunt has a thing totally. there, and you like you hit her up and be like, hey, do you want to host a thing in your backyard? Yeah. Like that kind of a thing, just totally. going direct. Yeah, exactly. Just a okay. big old spreadsheet of okay. these are people we very loosely know. These are people we know well in each of these markets. Uh-huh. And that was like gotcha. a two week process where we were. Okay accumulating like every contact that a member of our band had in each city. Mm-hmm. And we started reaching out to those people. And I'd say after about two weeks, cause it was a 45 show tour all in all. Mm. See, after two weeks we had, we started making, making headway mm-hmm. and got to the point where we really thought it was realistic. Like after two weeks we had maybe what, 10 people confirmed. Yeah. I, I would say we were, I would say at that point we were approaching the 50%. Maybe I'm, Maybe it's rosier in my mind. So we're talking, um, this is, uh, what month are we talking? How how far before the, the start of this tour? So I two would months. say, yeah. I mean, we started we started two months in advance. So this was what? Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe two and a half. Two, we started in April. 
Yeah. Okay. And we left July 1st. So yeah, two to three months in advance. Two to three months in advance, you had anywhere from uh, 10 to 20 some shows booked, uh, under half, let's just say less than half of the shows booked two months yeah. in advance. But what was the reach out like? Like, so when somebody said, hey, I'm free in Philly on this date, or I'm free in so, or I, I would be down to host you, or you would hit them up and say, hey, we're looking to do this. Uh, what did you have anything did you have like a template email did you have a like what did you pitch them how did how did you explain to them how this was going to work yeah to be honest that was the biggest challenge like it was a big it felt like a big education Mm. challenge uh we had so many people kind of push back and good friends who were just out of them trying to be extra helpful they'd be like "No, no 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 like I could try to get you guys into a bar or I could try to get you guys into this venue or, and we kept trying to like that. The biggest challenge was kind of, uh, yeah, just like convincing people that this, this is actually what we wanted. And like, yeah, yeah, I think people were, um, so we did have a template, but because a lot of this, um, at least at the start, a lot of it was, people we were close to mm-hmm. there's a lot of just personalized messages a lot of phone calls honestly um it's really helpful to get people on the phone like yeah, having okay. an initial message that would make clear like what we wanted mm-hmm. and then a follow-up phone call to really explain because because at this point a lot of people like teo said didn't really understand what what we were going for from the message right. Um, and what did you explain to I mean, how much of the details were you revealing on this initial one? Did you lay everything out saying, okay, we're charging for this. It's going to be this amount. This is how it's going to work. We want to do this time frame. Uh, this is what we need from you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or was it just like, hey, do you have space? We'll cover the details later if you say yes or something like that. We tried to pretty much put everything out up front. Okay. At least that, that's what I would say. Um, yeah. Like, and what were those details? That so, you were putting out yeah, the details being um, it's going to be a house show in your backyard. We're looking to get between 30, 40 people. Um, we'd be charging ticket. We'd be charging um, for tickets um, there. And we need access to a bathroom like these. Honestly, mm-hmm. one of the things that helped us a lot with this was actually our booking agent, um, Dan Boyle. Mm-hmm. Um helped us kind of come up with this structure of, of, of questions that, mm-hmm. you know, from a, from a booking agent are kind of just automatic, like very yep. good logistics questions to take care of. And so that kind of gave us um, a template to follow. We, what we found was hitting, you know, these, these friends or loose acquaintances with this long list wasn't the best way. So we, we mm-hmm. tried just starting by saying, Hey, like we're looking to play a show in a backyard. Mm-hmm. And then these are some things on top of that 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 yep. would help make this happen. For clarity, uh, your booking agent did not book this, though. You booked it, right? No. No. Okay. no, we ended up doing it. So this booking agent is primarily for what? Clubs and festivals or for p- performing arts centers, colleges? Yeah, yeah club, clubs and festivals. He's, a, he's okay. our booking agent for, yeah, venues, venue shows and, and festivals. 
Got it. Um, okay, cool. So, um, well, let's, let's, I, I want to know how you set these up more specifically. Um, you said you're going to charge tickets. What did that mean? Did you have a set rate? Now, when you say we were going to 30 to 40 people, is that we're expecting you to bring the crowd or did you ask them to make these public and you guys were promoting them and going to bring in a crowd? How, how did this all work? So, yeah, this was, this was one of the areas where we, started with a plan our initial plan was we wanted to sell tickets at every show thirty dollars thirty dollars 45 cities um so so when we had the locations locked in we Mm -hmm. we launched ticket sales and on what how on eventbrite on eventbrite Mm -hmm. yeah um so we set up an account on eventbrite we created all the all the events and the links on eventbrite which is a little i mean it's not difficult it takes time for sure but, mm-hmm. but it's relatively easy to do sure um and you can just put whatever ticket price you want to put in there you can put a description you can put a nice picture so it gives people and that's just like the medium that people are used to using when they buy concert tickets so sure we had a good experience with it overall. yeah okay um, but yeah so unfortunately <laughs> after we had launched the tickets we weren't selling tickets in quite a good amount of the yeah. cities sure. I mean, we're, we're a west coast band we had toured the west coast before and we played a lot okay. in california but okay. a lot of these cities we hadn't played in um yeah it was definitely ambitious of us um but i think starting kind of with that structure and just mm-hmm. being flexible was was probably a solid approach in the long run because for the markets where you know as we approached a show um when it would be in a market where we weren't selling at all uh, that's when we would switch to a free show donation-based model. Um, mm. And what we would do there is we'd reach out to the host and we'd say, hey, we were originally going to make this ticketed. Um, we don't know too many people out there. We're not selling many tickets. So we're going to change it to a free show. Invite all your friends, all your family. Let's pack it. Let's make it a party. And And then that ended up being honestly close to on par with our ticketed shows um, in terms of attendance in terms of attendance and sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of financials yeah depending on how good that donation pitch was which i think tommy's the guy to go into that yeah yeah um yeah so wait i i yeah, want to get into the donation pitch i want to get into the financials of all of this and the attendance numbers and all of that um but uh so so tell like step me through that process so this was you pitched to the hosts this is going to be a public show we're going to promote it and mm-hmm. so every host was theoretically okay with strangers coming to this concert in their backyard is that right yeah well almost when we when we first kind of like sold the hosts or talked to them about having the show they yeah the 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 agreement was that it was going to be ticket buyers and okay. then when we came back to them and said that, hey, we're not going to sell tickets, we we want it to be a free show. We really put them in like a position of power and being in them being the, the person that would drive the crowd. Okay. So, I mean, we were still making it a public show technically, but for the most part, it was, it was just there, the host community mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. people that, that would be there. Um, so it was ca- kind of like a party that yeah most people were really excited about because Mm -hmm. yeah i mean these people that that we connected with they're big fans of live music 
and it was almost an opportunity for them to have like a party yeah. in their space with a cool band for free. Yeah. I'd say I'd say one of the key things there is we would never uh, make it a free show weeks in advance and, okay. you know, like put it on our story saying, hey, free show here, free show here. And I think that was a big part of, um, you know, keeping the host in the position of power. It would be the day of and we'd really uh, kind of. Yeah, we, we we weren't spreading the word about a free show happening at this spot. We would post it usually on our story the day of saying mm. the show here is free. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, so you, you had all of these shows on Eventbrite ticketed $30, mm-hmm. and you only flipped it and told the host, hey, this is a free show, tell everybody the day of or the day before or so, or... No, so we would tell the we would tell the host a little bit more in advance. Usually, okay. uh, we just would hold off on on publicizing the show as a free show on our social medias. Gotcha. Like, okay. Yeah, like mainly cool. it was the po- the point of it was we wanted to give the host ed- mm-hmm. you know enough time to invite all of their friends, mm-hmm. but we didn't want to make it a publicized thing so that the host would feel overwhelmed with like random people coming to the show. Right. But the way that we ensured that it would be worth it for us is when we were asking the host, if they were okay with the free model, we asked them like, Hey, like realistically, how many people do you think you can have at Mm -hmm. the show? Yep. And if they said at least 20 or a lot of people would say more 30, a lot of people were saying, Oh yeah, for a $30 show, none of my friends want to come, but free, I can get 40 of my friends to come. Yeah. Um, okay, so then like, so, oh yeah, go for it. Uh, well, just the last thing I want to say is a, a lot on, on this point is it really was case by case and it would really okay. depend on the host. So the biggest thing about making this tour work was really working with the individual hosts like in a personalized way and like kind of avoiding just firing off templates yeah. because mm-hmm. there were some yeah. hosts who were like, I don't care who's at my house. Let's have some music. Let's have a good time. And so we would adjust to that and we'd, you know, be more public about, Hey, get over to this show. And there were some hosts, there were a few shows um, on the tour that were totally private. And that's because the, we were, we would always hope to get hosts that were okay with opening their place up, but there were a couple markets. Sometimes it was a really good friend who'd be like, Hey, I'm really not comfortable having, people i don't know but i will get 30 people to this show and so that happened a couple times and in that case you know we worked with them and we said all right cool that sounds good and then Um, how did the finances work for these free shows or for the private shows you're about to talk about your donation pitch tell me about that yeah i mean for the free shows we the model was it 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 got better over time because (laughs) sure the first the first several shows were all ticketed and then i think the very first show that was free was in salt lake city mm-hmm. and basically our our strategy there was we we played we started playing the show and then in the middle of the set we i i gave a story about who we were what we were doing and essentially just communicated to people that we're doing a full nationwide tour the mm-hmm. show tonight's free um that being said like if you're comfortable pitching in to, to help us out as we go on this nationwide journey, we'd really appreciate it. We've got a suggested donation of X, but you know, whatever amount you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. is super appreciated. And um, what was X? Thirty dollars? So it started at twenty. Okay. And then 
It would it would adjust. It, we, it eventually it became thirty at the end because okay. we felt that we we had thirty. I mean, we we were experimenting with twenty mm-hmm. or thirty to mm-hmm. see how people reacted or like to see if people were receptive to to, to having it be more. And they generally were, I'd say, like, because because we weren't saying you know you have to pay us thirty dollars, we <laughs> right? So just suggested thirty, but whatever you're comfortable with, is really. And cool. how did you were you passing a hat around or taking Venmo or what were you doing? Yeah, we, yeah. We had sign. We had a we had a sign that we made. We had. Did you make the sign? Who made the sign? Man, our sign situation was a nightmare. Um, signs don't do well in minivans stuffed with four <laughs> dudes and a lot of gear. Our signs would get just split in half. They'd get wrinkled. They'd get left on top of the car and probably oh, no. just ejected at some point. <laughs> but I ended up, yeah, we made a lot of different cardboard signs that just had our Venmo handle. Um, okay. We had some nicer signage, some. This is another shout out to my sister. Um, uh, wait, was that the sign we used? Cool. My sister makes like these laser cut wooden cool mm. art things. And at some point she made a merch sign for us, which was awesome. Hell yeah. What did we use for? We used a chalkboard actually for our, mm. for our merch signage. Well, yeah. I mean, cool. a lot of times we had a big sign that we mm-hmm. would hang yeah. up that was visible. And then in addition to that, at our merch table, we had a chalkboard. Mm -hmm. So I think the key to really capitalizing on the donations was A, making the pitch in the middle of the show and making it be very, like definitely emphasizing the importance of the fact that we needed like help to to, to complete the tour. Yeah, I would say beyond that, not more like tying it to a story. Like once our Mm. pitch got really good, it's because Tommy started talking about um, our touring vehicle, which we lovingly named uh, Big Booty Bertha. And Tommy would talk about how Bertha had been taking us on this adventure as she was. and Not just for this tour, but like uh, had been a big part of our band. And yeah. what was your touring vehicle? What was Big Booty Bertha? What, a what is 2005 she? Toyota Sienna. And Fantastic. she is still flying, doing so good. Just Amazing. The best. Yeah. Um, but that's a good point, Tim. It wasn't just like saying that we'd appreciate donations. It was making the story personal, mm-hmm. giving people you know, kind of an emotional tie. Yeah. To At it. some point, Tommy would say something like, you know, you, you know, your donation helps keep the wheels on Big Booty Bertha turning. And it helps yeah. us on this adventure. And like, I think that was something that people could people who had enjoyed the show could really buy into they're like all right yeah mm-hmm. keep bringing this show on the road so yeah. some sort of like like for people that want to that want to take this this idea and run with it my recommendation is yeah having a pitch that a is creative and unique and to your story mm-hmm. and then definitely you want to mention the way that people can pay you as part of the pitch in addition to having signage. Yeah. Mm. And then the last component of it was mentioning it, reinforcing it again, right before the show ended. Like okay. that's what that, that mm-hmm. helped us a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. one, one other thing, like most of the time we would do it right before the show would end, we would remind mm-hmm. people, but additionally we sometimes if a host was a close friend or someone that was a big supporter of the, of the band, we would ask them if they were willing to, at the end of the show, get on the mic and like nice. really drive that point home, which helped a lot. Yeah, but I'd say when we checked all those boxes, our donation-based shows, and this would depend on the market, but oftentimes if we checked all those boxes, you know, our donation-based shows would be 
close and sometimes as profitable as our ticketed shows, um, which was, yeah, it was it was super awesome once we like mm. really figured out how to what what all those key components were, mm-hmm. um, and then of course yeah when we had a host who was, you know sometimes we'd have super enthusiastic hosts who'd be like no nah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something and when they'd get on the mic that was always the best because it would be a lot of their friends or people they knew in their community and <clears throat> and yeah that would always be like a kind of a boost. That's huge. So, and I was going to ask you, since you were able to A-B test this with ticket sale, ticketed shows versus the free donation-based shows, which one performed better? And you're saying once you dialed in the pitch, and the pitch is so important, um, and you know, you had, so were you taking all digital payments, all Venmo, or did you take cash as well? We took cash too. It was cash Mainly digital though. Yeah, cash Venmo and cash app. Cool. Okay. Gotcha. Um, well, that's that's great, and it almost equaled out the uh, ticketed shows. If you know, and I think that's a. I've heard that. I mean, I've experimented with with this as well, and I've talked to a lot of people that have done the house concert thing. Some people swear by the donation model. Uh, some people swear by the. A model where you don't even say what the suggested donation is. It's just like whatever you almost like at the end of the show they say whatever you thought this was worth. You yeah. you give it you know you give it to us and you'll help us get to the next thing and then that's when you have some people send in a hundred. Yeah, you know, I remember hun- you were telling us about that. That, <laughs> yeah. but that I, I never did that. But when I was doing mm-hmm. my things, I similarly did the suggested donation thing because mm-hmm. I was afraid about that too. I was right. just like, well, then that means people are going to give me two dollars. I was like, you know, fuck, and then I'm going to feel like shit that my yeah. show is only worth two dollars. But yeah. you know. <laughs> But um, that's interesting. So let's talk about merch now. Um, I, when you're saying you're doing these, you got these pitches down. Um, I'm assuming that when you're doing the merch, the the donation pitch, you're also doing the merch pitch. Was that was that baked in or was that separate? Yeah, the merch thing was was something that we probably botched more often. Um, Definitely not more often than not, but more often <laughs> than the donation pitch. Yeah, that's what okay. I meant. So tell me about the merch. And How did the merch I, by go? Botched, yeah. It would usually be botched because I would do it. Tommy's the much better one. No, I think you, you did a good job most of the time. I do think it was key, though, to keep those two things separate. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because okay, okay. That, that's something that we learned early on. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. when we tied them in together, mm-hmm. then people would assume that if they bought merch, that was like their suggested donation. Ah, got it. Yep. Right. Yeah. And... The thing with that, especially that we found was our our probably worst margin merch item. And it's mostly just because of how we ended up designing it. And we just used too many colors. We we did it in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, ended up being our t-shirt. And yeah. people ended, ended up being definitely the most loved item people were really buying i'm afraid it. to ask but what was your uh what was your baseline cost oh my gosh ari t-shirt? i don't even want to tell you man <laughs> <laughs> it was oh uh, it was tough i mean tommy what like 20 oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, let's not talk about it 21 dollars for it to cost I know, I know. It. We've, oh. listen we've done this Ooh. so much better in the past i don't, <laughs> don't want to talk about it Ooh. Um, it's a it's cool. a fly shirt. You might as at that point you could have gone to Urban Outfitters, just bought a twenty dollars shirt and like know, written more fatter on the top and, and sold it. It was the single coolest piece of merch we've ever sold, I think, in terms of design. 
Okay. I mean, well, you got to get those costs down. Uh, why was yeah, it so yeah. expensive? That's crazy. I've never heard of a T-shirt at cost that that expensive. Just poor planning. Uh, okay. Last last minute, uh, like design decisions, being too attached to the design and and not really having the time and bandwidth to change it. How many colors? It was like four or five on the front and then four or five on the back. Oh, you did a that, backside too. And okay. because of that, it didn't make sense to do screen printing. And so mm. we did that D direct to DTP. It's DT. Yeah, it's it's like instead of screen printing, it's mm-hmm. just like it. it's totally based on um, – it's not based on the colors you use, but it's based mm-hmm. on um, the amount of ink used. Okay. Um, I don't know much about the process, but it's it's a different process. Well, better screen. question is, what did you sell them for? Well, we started selling them at thirty, okay, and then eventually we bumped it to forty because oh, and you I, sold them at forty? Yeah, yeah, we sold all of them. We sold out of them. Uh, well, then, shit, was, it doesn't matter that you it cost you twenty one dollars. Right. You made a twenty dollar profit right. on your shirts. I mean, that's better than most people make on, on I, their shirts. This so. was a this. We Sam had, and I were arguing about that. Tommy this. and I had this was our only source of beef along the tour because to me it felt real bad selling a shirt for 40. But mm-hmm. no, no, Tommy was right. I mean, addition- and we played around like we would sell it at 35 sometimes. We try selling it at 40 and, and see, you know, what how people valued it and how mm-hmm. much they would want it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, in addition to the design being complex, it was also a premium quality shirt. Sure. I just felt like it was. That's Definitely true. Something that people were willing to pay for. I mean, when was the last time you went to a big concert at the Bowl or the Greek or wherever? Uh, where have you looked at their merch? Their merch table, their merch booth. We're talking eighty-five dollar shirts. We're talking t-shirts. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what they're charging. That you know, granted. They're the superstars, but yes, it's premium quality. But still, people are used to uh, the premium content, premium merch at concerts, and especially you're the only game in town, right? At this point, mm-hmm. like how many concerts have people been to uh, and and buying the merch? Like this, you're probably the first concert they experienced in a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got Hon- that a lot. And and honestly, yeah. <laughs> that's what that that's like. That's what was so special about this tour is it felt like for a lot of people it was their reintroduction to society and we were like Mm -hmm. creating this safe this really safe and like kind of transitional step back into things because it was you know the vibes that are at these shows was relaxed and it was a backyard and people would just be like mingling and people would feel really comfortable outside so I think that's probably one of the things that was most special. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, that's that's yeah, right. You and that that's the other thing. And and like, I'm sure you realize this is that people were having pretty like magical like spiritual experiences at these things that they just like they didn't. We, none of us had had any kind of an experience like that. You know, for the last year and a half, people are coming out of quarantine. And you're giving them this experience. So it's almost like they're not just buying a shirt. They're buying a memory. Mm-hmm. And totally. they want to remember that. And like $40 is totally fine for that. What other merch items did you have? So one one of the things that was Gustav's, our bass player's pride and joy, was uh, these temporary tattoos, which we had, which was a first for us. Nice. Um, Goose really 
drove that forward to make it happen. But yeah, we had two different designs. These tattoos lasted. We hoped they would, you know, we, we tried getting ones that would last one to two weeks in practice. Unfortunately, they were more like a couple days. Um, but those were fun little things that sometimes people would buy five or 10 of. So it was mm, like a cool item. Cool. We would, you know, bundle it. We'd give a good discounted price if people bought five at a time or 10 at a time. And where did you find these? Where did you, or where did you get these from? How'd you order? Yeah, them? that was, that was a bit of a process. Um, we goose did a lot of research. Um, man, I really, I don't have the name off the top of my head of the That's all right. What did you sell them for? Going with. Um, what did we sell? We them sold for? them for five dollars. Yeah, each. one for five. Um, one for five, cool. and then we did five for twenty. Yeah, five for twenty. Amazing, amazing, cool. And we, um, we sold I'm, hats. We've sold. We've sold. Mm. Uh, we've had the same hat design for a long time. They've been super popular. Um, mm -hmm. So we sold those for thirty dollars, and then we had a couple other things. We had a sticker sheet. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a fun one. Um, basically, we we have this bumper sticker design that that's been a design we've had for a really long time and people really like it. Mm -hmm. Um, but their unit price is not great at all. Um, and we used to just give them out and we were like, oh, we got to stop doing this. So we put it on a sticker sheet with a bunch of other really cool sticker designs. And that wow. way we sold the whole sheet. Um, how much did we sell for it? Those were 10. Mm -hmm. The sticker sheet was 10. Cool. Um, but it was like six or seven different stickers and it was like a, big old page and the last mm -hmm. thing was cds that that's what i was waiting for because uh t tell me about your cd story how, what oh, do you mean yeah. by cds how you sold cds we're not we're not talking digipacks here or plastic no. shrink wrap cds tell the listeners how you sold your cds okay, um, <laughs> i'm gonna tell the backstory. um so right before this tour we'd been um we'd been really working on finishing up our album and we, mm -hmm. we didn't end up finishing it all, but we ended up <clears throat> pretty much recording most of it and getting pretty far along in the production. Mm -hmm. And then I think a couple of days before we left, I put on our story. I was, I mean, we were all super excited about the music and I put on our story, something like, Hey, does anyone still buy CDs? We've got a bunch of like almost done songs. Who wants to listen to them? And, you know, we got like a hundred people saying, I want one, I want one, I want one. We were like, all right, that's enough. So I, I drove to Target um, and bought a hundred pack of blank CDs for, I don't they know. They still like, sell those? Yeah, they do for wow. like 20 bucks or maybe it was less, maybe 10 bucks. <laughs> wow. Um, and, and this is where, uh, this is where the poor planning really kicked in because we could have just burned all those CDs before we left on tour, but mm -hmm. no, instead we brought all these blank CDs and pretty much before every show, Anthony would be burning a couple CDs <laughs> with love and we'd be like, Hey, did we burn any? And be like, Oh no, we don't have any CDs today. Um, but yeah, I mean, the idea there was we'd burn the CD, we'd all sign it. We'd all write, you know, unreleased album. We draw little pictures on it. Um, we'd all have different color Sharpies and, and put it in a little cardboard sleeve and, and, uh, yeah, they were popular. They were popular. Pe people loved it. We sold the whole hundred set, yeah. um, by the How end. How much of you sell them for? Sell those for 20. Yeah. 20 Woo! See here, this is the thing. Like when was, all right. 
What was the last time? I don't know if you guys ever bought CDs, but I I'm old enough where I remember going to you know Best Buy and Sam Goody and shit and buying CDs, and it was like, you know, uh, CDs have they don't cost twenty dollars. They never really cost twenty dollars at, at the peak in the late nineties. They were like I remember going and buying the Jack Johnson CD from Best Buy, and I I bought it for like. Eighteen dollars. I'm like, I cannot believe that this right. costs eighteen. Yeah. That's insane. And then I got home and it was just a cardboard sleeve and there was no liner notes or anything. And I was livid. I'm like, <laughs> come on, Jack. But then you know he's an environmentalist, so he's just like, I just wanted the the the, the lowest uh, environmental impact what he was doing. Which in the late '90s, I mean, props to him or early yeah. 2000s or wow. whatever this was. Seriously. This is probably 2000. What two or three right it was like he's like yeah no no environmental impact or low environmental but anyway um that's incredible i've never sold uh, yeah most cds you know the um, the going rate is typically your ten dollars at the merch table but you sold a burned cd twenty dollars mm-hmm. again they're not buying the plastic they're buying a memory they're yeah, buying a souvenir and, and, yeah and the fact that the fact that it was our new album that was unreleased it wasn't That's even awesome. fully done it was even yeah. just like a it was a very unique item for for a fan to have yeah in the, addition to just like being an, a cd i think the single biggest thing there is is and and we made this clear when we would mention it is these songs you can't listen to them on the internet and you still can't you now. still can't and honestly <laughs> probably will only be able to in maybe three four months if we if we keep okay. getting after it cool. um so yeah it was the idea that i'm at this show i'm hearing these songs they might get stuck in my head uh i can't listen to them for another six months to a year oh wait maybe i can if i have a cd player um cool and so i think people are really into that that's amazing uh how did you burn them it's on Anthony's computer. He has a really old computer. Yeah. He still has a, a oh, shit. <laughs> we would just put him in and we had the tracks. Wow. That, that's that would, drag him into, into the sea and just burn away. <laughs> that would honestly be the only moment. I mean, one of the few moments of, of drama on tour would just be like pre-show. Like, can we burn enough CDs? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes, we'd get, sometimes we'd get smart and burn enough for the next three or four shows and then next thing we know depending on how much time we had yeah yeah Yeah. real quick i want to let you know about distrokid well i'm sure you already know about distrokid but they are partners with ari's take and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to spotify apple music tiktok title instagram all of that over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. 
DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, distrokid.com. So, okay, when you left for your first show, um, or I guess you when you right the the, the day of your first show, um, and that was that was local. Was that the was that L A. Your first yeah. show was L A. July first in L A. July first. How uh, many shows still needed to be booked? <laughs> the good question. I'd say or what I just, percentage of the tour was booked or how I'd throw out the number it. that out of the 45 shows we played, maybe like 15 of them had not been booked. I mean, max. Yeah, I'd say 10 to 15. Mm-hmm. We had contacts. Yeah. In probably, I'd say in the majority of those, mm. but they weren't fully confirmed. And then okay. I think there were like five that we were just like completely had nothing we have a couple fun day before or three days before stories hit me (laughs) um i would say (laughs) columbus was probably the craziest so we're playing this show in cleveland the next night we were supposed to be playing in columbus we didn't know a single person in columbus so i think last minute decision in the middle of our set in cleveland i think i go like hey if anyone knows anyone in columbus we were hoping to play a show there tomorrow night, but we don't know anyone there. So come talk to us after the show. Maybe we can figure something out. And we had three people come up to us. And ultimately, we ended up going with someone who was at the Cleveland show, had a cousin in Columbus. We'd never talked to him. We'd never met him. We called them that night. They were like, yeah, let's do it. And we were there like <laughs> yeah. 12 hours and later. They brought 20 friends. So it ended up. Holy shit. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. All right. That one Woo. was dicey. The Huge. Other, the other one that was especially dicey was Bend, Oregon. Oh, my gosh. So the story on this that one was... crazy. Yeah, we didn't, we, didn't have, we didn't have a host. <laughs> and a Cliff, Bar, a Cliff Bar official Instagram post, I think you commented. Teo commented on a Cliff Bar Instagram post. What did you say? Right? Okay, no, it's, it's especially crazy because this is a, this is a classic, like, instagram algorithm creepy thing story because we'd we'd been on a drive and we passed through this town maybe called white falls or i don't even know the name of the town but then suddenly magically a post pops up on my feed that's a cliff bar post talking about how they're founded in that town that random town we passed yeah i didn't know that and so clearly it knew that I was passing through and it's like, here, you'll like this. And uh-huh. we do love Cliff Bars. Tommy is is a massive fan and his, his big dream, his big dream <laughs> is to one day get a sponsorship. Um, but I commented, no way. We just passed through and we love Cliff Bars. Like, hello. You know, I just did a little wave to the Cliff Bar Instagram account. And this awesome guy in Bend, uh, radio host and band named JMO happened to see that comment, clicked mm-hmm. on our page, looked us up, looked our music up, and just DM'd me and or DM'd our band account. And then I I called him that morning, and this all happened in a span of a couple hours. Right? This was the day of the show. This we was were the planning day of to the cancel show. the show. 
Uh, it was going to be the first show that we had a perfect perfect record. Yeah. Wait a minute. You were driving to Bend, Oregon without a show booked. Yes. Just putting it into the universe. We're going to play tonight somehow, somewhere. Yeah. Well, I think (laughs) on our... I think on our story, it was kind of like still looking for a bend host, haven't found one. And that was the status. You know, wow, we had okay. we had shows booked in Portland and Eugene, but bend was just evading us. OK. So JMO, so Teo gets on the phone with JMO mm-hmm. and JMO happens to he is he he's relatively high up at a radio station. He run Yeah, he, he runs he, he, he show. Has his own show. And he has contacts in Ben. So basically he has us on the, on the radio show for an interview. And in addition to that, he connected us at a venue called, um, Spoken Moto, Spoken Moto, which is a really cool, like motorcycle bar, outdoor space. Yeah. It's an outdoor space. So we ended up playing. That was the only venue that we technically, like this was a show that we, it wasn't one of the like typical formats where we played mm-hmm. in someone's backyard. We played okay. at this place and we still did the donation pitch and it was, it ended up being a great show. We played for 20 people that night. Nice. And then we also found someone there who th- that was one of our best shows actually at the tour. Like we were just mm-hmm. really, I think we were just wow. so stoked that we found a show that we just really, we were locked in and we, we found a host that, wanted to have us play a second bench show on like our day off on the way back down. Mm. Um, and she was able to bring 30 friends to that wow. next show. So we ended up, we love Ben. We love Ben. Yeah. And that you couldn't yeah. believe that happened. It's crazy turn of events. That's we, amazing. We ended up driving directly to JMO's radio station where he worked and <laughs> just walked straight into you know, got on mics and then did a radio show <laughs> where he just talked through some of our songs and asked us questions. And then we wow. went straight to the venue. That's amazing. That's fun. That's cool. Um, so uh, any other any other close calls or anything like that or, or, or catastrophes or text me through any any empty shows, any shows where there was like just like the host and, and their their cat? Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> really? And one that just jumps to my mind when you say a host and a cat. It wasn't a cat. It was a dog. But okay. again, this was another place. This was another place that we couldn't find anyone in. Um, it was Atlanta. And another weird, funny, crazy story, because we didn't have a show. We were about five days out and I was getting a haircut in Austin and I was just chatting with this guy cutting my hair. Um, and he was on his own like haircutting tour. So we kind of bonded <laughs> over that because he he lived in Bolt. He would like go to Boulder for a week to cut hair. Then he would go to, he, we were kind of following the same route. He was just going mm-hmm. slower and cutting hair instead of playing music. Um, but he's like, hey, I know some guys who opened up a barber shop in Atlanta. Um, I'm going to actually be there cutting hair in a, a couple months. You guys should hit him up and I'm sure they'd love to host a show. Mm-hmm. And so we did that. It was I think maybe we only had two other shows that ended up being indoors, but that was one of those. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we found ourselves in the middle of this like pretty hip barbershop. Great acoustics. With no one there. 
No what? one. No oh, one no. There. <laughs> it was, Man, two it was people plus like three barbers. It was there. Yeah, it was it was a couple barbers, uh, one of their girlfriends, a dog, <laughs> and two people who had heard one of our songs on their Spotify Discover Weekly, Discover like Weekly two days before. Two days before <laughs> And what? we're like, cool, and showed up. And it was so funny because, I mean, honestly, it's probably the show I was the most nervous for because it was just like. Very intimate. It was so <laughs> intimate. It was so intimate. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah when was, you, yeah. <laughs> it was a wild wow. experience. Um, okay. Uh, it felt like we were just playing music for like our parents almost. Yeah. Like it was just yeah. like, it was wild. I don't mm. know. <laughs> shout out to discover weekly <laughs> yeah that enabled uh, the audience to outnumber you for that one seriously uh, <laughs> just barely so what did you do for uh sleeping situations on this tour yeah that's a good question we we got very we got very pretty scrappy with our like lodging um, very scrappy and very fortunate yeah honestly. And super fortunate i mean one of the because you asked earlier about the questions that we would ask people yeah we were initially talking to them about the idea mm -hmm. one of the questions that we or two of the questions that we asked which i think would be helpful for people are were our booking agent recommended these but one of them was are you willing to provide dinner for the band mm. the night of the show and then are you willing to host the band after the show mm. um and generally people were favorable to letting us crash the dinner the din the like more people were okay with having us crash than than cooking us dinner, which is totally, okay. which was totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Because um, so, we out of sixty three days, we were on tour for sixty three days. I think we only wow. paid for seven. I think we paid for seven nights of hotels. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Every, every other night, we it was either the hosts that were willing to have us crash, or when that wasn't the case, like we really used our networks in those cities to try to find friends that were you know, able to help us out or friends of nice. friends. Mm -hmm. Huge. Few, a couple cities where like we found people that were willing to host us at the show. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it was planned, planned in advance. Yeah. A lot mm -hmm. of nights on like couches and, and blow up mattresses and sometimes the ground. But I would say that was probably the biggest, sh biggest pleasant surprise of the tour is like how fortunate we got with our sleeping situations. Like people were so gracious with their spaces. In fact, in Nashville, we were staying with four guys who just like moved out while we were there. Like they all went to their parents, their girlfriends, and just Whoa. left us this house. That's and amazing. there were so many examples of just like, oh my gosh, like this is yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, we even, you know, like we had a, 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 a couple of situations where, we had people actually put us up in a hotel. They were like, ah, I can't host you, but take this, you know, like oh it was, it was ridiculously yeah. like, cool. you know, yeah, yeah, we were super fortunate. There's so many cool people that we met. Yeah. Really mm. Super generous. So cool. Um, so what would you say? Uh, well, let I want to get into the numbers here because uh, that's also something something very impressive and that a lot of people don't realize. Um, what were the what were the take home? Uh, tell me tell me the numbers. What was your your gross revenue from this? Your take home, all of that. How did it all work out in the end? Yeah, we didn't want to go like too specific into the into the numbers. Like one thing okay. one thing one thing we'll we'll say is that we we've toured in the past. 
mm-hmm. and it had been difficult for us to like, like we've, I think on our previous tours, we've always done a good job of like breaking even. Right. And making a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this tour, it was the first time where we were, we were ever able to go on tour and like pay ourselves afterwards for the Great. time and, and work that we put into pay ourselves like Great. an amount that felt representative mm-hmm. of the effort and time that, w- that went into it, which was like amazing for us. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a big accomplishment. Yeah, I mean that I think that was the biggest thing is like, you know, for those 2 months we didn't have to worry about um like paying rent and all our food was covered, but this was also the first time where we were like, okay, we just dedicated 2 months of our lives and more during the planning stages to this thing and we managed to all, you know, everyone took home a slice of the pie. Um and then we also ended up having uh like now having this budget, the amount that we saved to, you know, as, as, as you're well aware, recording, mixing, mastering music is very Mm -hmm. expensive. It can Mm be. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so like having a budget to finish our album was just like incredible. Mm -hmm. For sure. Cool. I'll talk about revenue a little bit because I think that's important for people to hear. Um, Like with the structure that we had it, which was $30, Mm-hmm. like per ticket and then where we didn't sell tickets we had the donation pit donation pitches like our total revenue with tickets plus merch was around fifty thousand dollars and then wow that's yeah. that's incredible in two yeah, in in 60 in 45 shows 45 shows yeah mm-hmm. wow and then a lot of like the the profits just came down to how much you know we spent on food and lodging and, and, gas, and gas a lot of gas Right. Um, yeah, Unfortunately, gas. one day doing one of these tours in an electric car would be pretty nice. Yeah, I mean, the gas situation <laughs> was nice. honestly also really fortunate because the, we were able to take the Sienna minivan, which got twenty three. Yeah, so three miles in the gallon. One of the one of the little one of the simple one of the simple pleasures of tour was was all good? sitting in the car <laughs> watching the miles per gallon meter, and every time it would tick up. 0.1 miles per gallon more we would just be like yeah we'd just be like fist pumping and celebrating right. and by the end of it we were you know so so much highway all that highway driving uh really helps out your mileage so we crept up to 23 and we were quite proud of that because in Amazing. la in la that car gets like 19 oh yeah 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 that makes sense um i mean that's a feat and you should be tremendously proud of that i mean that 50 grand in two months of any kind of touring. I mean, that's phenomenal, especially at this. You, How many of the cities had you been to before? Not many. Out of the seven, out of like the 40 wow. we went to. Or maybe like how many cities did we go to? 30. 38. Yeah, we'd probably played music in like eight of them. Yeah, San Francisco, LA, Portland, Seattle, New York, Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, Reno, San, San Diego, and San Diego. Eight. Yeah, eight. So the vast majority of these shows is your first time through. Um, now, when you chose these cities, was there a reason that you chose these cities? Were you looking at your Spotify analytics or your Instagram analytics, or how, how did you choose these cities? Well, we knew we knew we've we've toured and we've established you know at least decent fan bases in the West coast major mm-hmm. cities like Seattle, okay. and San Diego. So we knew we wanted to do those for sure. And then New York is actually one of our biggest market, probably your second biggest market after the mm-hmm. Bay area. That's where our band's from. So 
we really knew we wanted to get out there. Yeah. And I've I've spent a good amount of time in Texas. So I have a bunch of friends there. Really yeah. wanted to get to the major Texas cities. Cool. So at that point, we were just kind of like, we should do what we can to, to fill it in. There were um, there were points in the planning of this tour where it was looking like we were really starting to question whether we'd make it to the East Coast because like we were really struggling mm. to fill some of those connecting cities. And I think I I wouldn't say we got super close, but we got close to kind of calling it and just sticking to the West Coast. So mm. I think a lot of our drive was like, ah, oh, we got to get to New York and play some shows. We'd played um, actually just one, one really awesome show in New York before then. Um, but we just knew we wanted to get out there. So yeah, a lot of it was just finding a way to get out there and a big, a big factor in, in which cities we hit was whether we'd be able to find hosts. So mm-hmm. like keeping the, the tour schedule, um, or at least the initial route, not too rigid. That was probably the biggest challenge is like keeping it rigid enough to lock people in, mm-hmm. but not keeping it not having it be too rigid so that we couldn't, you know, bail on a city and instead put another city in there. Got um, it. It was kind of a delicate balance. Yeah. But we definitely did have a conversation. Like I remember at one point before the tour, yeah. I was like, I don't think this makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I remember telling you that. Yeah. I was heartbroken. I was like, this, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at it and all these cities, we don't know anybody. How are we going to play to anybody? We're going to be, we're going to have to, more than half the shows where we're playing to nobody yeah we're losing money i'm like i'm just not seeing it yeah so i mean eventually teo convinced me that i see the optimist the pessimist here this is right absolutely (laughs) the yin and the yang okay yeah yeah. (laughs) and it just all worked out so magically like Mm -hmm. which wasn't expected it was Mm. it was definitely wasn't expected to a be able to play to as many people as we did each night but also just like the financial part of it really came together magically. And, and we were just super fortunate with mm. the lodging, people being so generous. Yeah. Also, we didn't have any car breakdown. We didn't have any car break-in. Yeah, I'd say that that was a big part of the finances is we kind of like built in or it was like we, I guess we were expecting for more to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of built in a cushion because we were expecting, you know, there, there'd be some car maintenance costs that we'd have to deal with. And we did get oil changes, but apart from that, we didn't have any problems. We were expecting, you know, maybe a break-in happens. That happens, we, that happens all the time with musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you have your gear in the car. That's a tough thing to, like, the, the way we dealt with it is just, like, a lot of unloading and loading. Yeah. Like, we'd really yeah. make sure to not have stuff in our car. Something I recommend. Something that Tommy yeah. and Goose are especially... Don't, don't get lazy. Even if you're tired at the end of the night, yeah. you want to keep it in the car. What I used to do when I toured in an SUV in a Highlander, um, I would cover all the gear with a big king-size sheet. So if wow. someone was like peering in, they're like, oh, there's nothing in here. It's just a bunch of junk or whatever. And, and yeah. I would like just a big king-size sheet. Now, granted, I would take my instruments out, but like the rest of the stuff in there... You know, I would just cover it up and knock on wood. Fortunately, you know, I I never had a break in in, in the hundreds and hundreds of shows that I did in that yeah. thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. Um, what would you say for artists who are thinking of embarking on a house concert tour? Um, 
What is your advice to them? What were some big takeaways uh, after this, the postmortem when you're looking back and it's like, man, these are the biggest lessons that we learned and to save everyone the stress of having to go through and learning this themselves. What are some takeaways that you'd like to offer? I have a couple in mind. I'm sure you do too. Yeah, you um, get started. One thing, one thing that I think is really important is the sound because mm. For these shows, we like they're not venue shows, right? There's no sound guy or sound person. There's no, mm-hmm. there, yeah, there's no one running running a mix for you, and even there's no equipment for you in in most cases. In, sure. In, in all cases for us, so we bought from Guitar Center. We bought a small PA, we bought a couple speakers, and we set up the audio at each show. And nice. I mean, at first it kind of was a bit of a process, but then we really got it down mm-hmm. and we're able to set things up in like less than half an hour and do a quick sound check and have it all dialed in. Um, so I think that's really important, regardless of what kind of act you are, mm-hmm. like making sure that A, you bring the audio with you so you can do it yourself, but then B, also making sure that you tailor it to the, this kind of audience. Because mm-hmm. our band, we, for the most part, we, the shows that we had played in the past were venue shows where we're plugged in. We've got a drum kit. We've got a guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we had played acoustic shows here, like sporadically here and there. And we've always loved doing that. So our music like translates relatively well to an acoustic setting. But we definitely worked on it. Like we really worked on our set and made mm-hmm. sure that the sound was going to be like a good fit for, nice. for people in, in the kind of house show. So... That's something that I think is really important to think through. Yeah, I mean, we kind of rearranged uh, a lot of our songs to really make them sound the best and acoustic. That for yeah, in that form, mm-hmm. just mm. threw in a ton of harmonies and and some yeah. Cool. Another thing that you should talk about today, because you know more about it, is just like the lighting is important. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the shows were after dark. Yes. Um, and I'd say that's something we probably definitely could have done better on. Usually the lighting is the last thing we would kind of get to. And for that reason, um, it's the thing that we wouldn't do at a lot of shows. But yeah, we'd, we'd end up playing. It would be dark by the time, you know, we'd be halfway through our set. And so the shows where we had string lights set up, Sometimes it'd be as easy as just like draping a set of string lights in front of us. Mm. Um, It would always be better if we got some string lights above us as well. Um, It made a huge difference. And I'd say probably the reason the the thing that it was the best for is after the show. Um, When we'd end a show and it'd be dark and no one could Mm. see us, it'd kind of be like, all right, the night's over. (laughs) Like It would just be like a time to get out of here. You You don't connect with fans as well. And it hurts your merch sales. Yeah. That sure. that that's probably the way in which we'd actually hurt our our donations and our merch the most, and it's something we didn't really figure out until near the end. Mm. Um, having having, it's yeah, thinking about the lighting and how the end of the show will look um, is is definitely a good mm-hmm. a good tip. Um, also, like kind of building off these two things was is the seating component. Mm. That, that's something that was important to. We didn't fully like. I mean, we were we were good at figuring it out on the fly, but going into it, I don't think we had really thought about it. And making our strategy was because you can't really 
carry seating in your touring van for everybody. Sure. So, Not if it's a Toyota Sienna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's four guys. Yeah. Right. So we would ask, we would ask our hosts. Like that's something that I think is important to put on your host radar. Is like, what kind of seating do you mm-hmm. have? And we brought picnic blankets. Yeah. Whenever the setting was in, in a grassy area or somewhere where people could sit, we'd put picnic blankets out. And we'd encourage, if, if we knew that, that a place wasn't going to have seating, we would send an email out to everybody that was had RSVP'd, bought tickets. Mm-hmm. Or if it was a free show, we would tell the host to ask the people that were coming to bring their own seating. Cool. Great tip. Yeah, that's a good call. Seating was pretty important. Um, nice. Yeah. This kind of shows I don't think you want people to be there just like standing awkwardly. Like at least that's what we decided sure. we wanted for our style. We wanted it to yeah. be like an intimate seated seated. Yeah, right. it so definitely it definitely depends on on what the music sounds like and what the vibe is. But we that is one thing we were pretty set on is is we wanted it to be a seated audience. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean the best the best we could do in terms of providing seating was we, we just made sure we always had a couple picnic blankets. Um, and you're at a seated show. You're always going to have people who want to stand, but it was more of like a providing enough seating for people so that like those who didn't want to stand could, could, could sit. And then those yeah. who wanted to stand would be in the back. Cool. That's great. I'm trying nice. to think of, of some other, tips okay one thing um at least one thing we did is we would always play a playlist um before you know we were we were the only musical act for for most of these shows yeah Um, there were some markets where we'd have we'd have a really good friend who was doing music and Mm -hmm. we'd have them open um Mm -hmm. but for the most part we'd make sure that there was a playlist playing music as people were showing up nice and as soon as we were done, we'd put the playlist back on. And that actually ended up like that strategy ended up actually like revealing itself in terms of how important it was when we didn't do it. Mm. And it ended up creating like probably one of the weirder vibes we had on tour when we totally forgot to put music on and we kind of like went out and, and we're talking just amongst ourselves trying to figure out what we wanted to do differently with our set. And when we walked back in, it was just dead silent. It was oh, just God. people kind of just like fidgeting, sitting there, looking at each other, <laughs> like no one talking. And we were just like, oh man, we, we just killed the vibe. Like this is going to be just a total uphill battle to loosen people back up again. Like mm. that's when we realized how important it was to, mm-hmm. to have music going. It's just like yeah, made people way yeah. more comfortable with talking and mingling. And mm-hmm. yeah, man, that show was tough. That was probably our toughest show to play. We, we couldn't <laughs> get anyone to crack a smile after that. Wow. Yeah, oh, no, wow. It, was, it was potent. Like, yeah, my gosh huge huge (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) that's that's a good one yeah you remember that um is there anything else did so you kind of alluded to this but uh did each of you have defined roles throughout the tour yeah more or less i mean we're 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 a very collaborative group so we always we we help out but yeah, I mean, Teo ran the social media okay. for the most part on the tour. Gustav, who's our like band engineer, audio engineer, mm-hmm. he 
would run the sound check every night and kind of lead. I mean, we would all help set up the audio, but he would lead it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of, yeah, he, he would do the sound check. Tony and I would like plug the cables in. And then while we were doing that, Teo would set the merch merch up. Yeah, we all kind of like fell into roles as as the tour gotcha. established itself. Gotcha. Like, cool. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's one of those things where it was. Yeah, you're totally right. We didn't have set roles going into mm-hmm. it, but then after like a week, we just found found a flow of things that each one. Of us one role that I started off doing and then was doing it poorly, and thank God Tommy stepped up and saved the day. Was sending. I mean, this was honestly one of the logistical things that was the most challenging on tour. Um, I I guess this isn't something we even mentioned yet, but we would send out, and this is for ticketed shows mostly, we would send out the address um, to everyone who had bought it. You know, one of the reasons why Eventbrite was great is it would, everyone who bought a ticket, we'd have their emails. It was a really Mm -hmm. easy interface to, to then send emails from the Eventbrite event. Um, but that's something we would have to do two days before send an email to everyone saying, Hey, this is where the show is. Um, this is our seating situation. This is where Mm -hmm. you can park. Uh, this is when we're starting. Um, and this is what to expect. And then we would also send a reminder the day of, and we were a little bit sloppy with, you know, sometimes we, we wouldn't send the email until, you know, the morning of the show. Um, but that was one of the tough tougher things to stay on top of you know our our internet connection wasn't always great Mm. sending emails on your phone in the middle of a moving car is painful (laughs) sometimes yeah Um, yeah that is important though because that's super important to do they gotta know where to show up (laughs) (laughs) otherwise you're just right i mean it helped us drive ticket sales too because whenever we had a ticket to show where it wasn't sold out at the end of the email, we would say, P.S., there's still a few tickets left that we have available. If you know any friends that would be interested, like, let them know. Right. Dude. That's something we, some good last minute that's something we only figured out until maybe like 10, 10, yeah, I was going to say 10 shows left is Huge. like sticking that little P.S. Right. Um, yeah. I we think that, that pretty good. we did that in Austin. Really? Yeah. Oh, I wish we did that. for. <laughs> <laughs> Huge. That's a good Amazing. Tip. Cool. Any final thoughts? Oh man, I feel like it's all just like really starting to come back to me now. Sure, <laughs> we're right, really right. It's deep been in some time. No, it's great. I mean, this is this is all super helpful, and I know you know people have been taking notes throughout this conversation, and uh, probably going to. I would encourage everyone uh, to make a, a checklist, probably like a, a day of checklist of these things that you guys learned throughout. It's like, oh man, music. Mm-hmm. Who's, whose job is it to put the music on? Okay, right. you're like we got to cue the music up before we go warm up. We got to do, yeah. you know, set the merch up when we get there. Oil changes are going to be this day. Put mm-hmm. that, you know, here's the email. Like all the things that you kind of learned throughout. And mind you, even learning this as you went, you had a tremendously successful tour. I'm sure you got a lot of, uh, a lot of new fans from this thing. Did, did you notice like uh, as you were going through it, like like word was spreading and you're getting feedback and, and you're growing the audience? Yeah, uh, we definitely would. And, and the thing I would say about that is like, you know, these would be like real, like these people were real fans. Like they're, mm. you know, it's not like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's not like Spotify listeners where you're like, ah, I don't know if this person actually knows 
who we are. But right. these people, after you know, a, a two three hour night of hanging out, seeing a show, we get to talk. Like this, the single reason I like, I think we all had so much fun is you play a, a big venue show and it's loud and it's dark and you don't actually get to really see these people and talk to them and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. At these shows we were playing, there on average be 30 people and we'd get to talk to all of them and hang out with all of them. So mm. yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was like a, a slow trickle after every show. There'd definitely be people who would kind of climb on board and follow us on our socials and, and start listening and start interacting with us. Um, we had a lot of people in cities that would come to the show and be like, oh, my friend saw you like in that. Yeah, and, that like, was awesome. Cool. To come. Yeah, that was right. so cool. But yeah, like Teo said, I mean, at the end of the day, 45 shows, we probably get, were played in front of 1500 people about. Sure. And you could play one show if it's a if you're opening for a big act, you could play one mm-hmm. venue show in front of that many people. Mm-hmm. But the amount of like true fans that we came out of out of those 1500 i think the percentage is very high mm-hmm. uh, because of the format sure yeah you have i mean you made a a special memory for every person that was there this is a moment this is going to be a milestone of their year and maybe even like their pandemic two year because um you know, it's like you facilitated this magical experience. A lot of non-musicians, non-music people never experience house concerts. They, that's like in and of itself, pre-pandemic, that was a very special experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but having the timing of when you guys did this, uh, sh- you know, shortly after people were coming out of quarantine, getting, you know, vaccinated, things were starting to open up and whatever. Um that even reinforced how special and magical this would be for for a lot of people and and this this is going to be a life memory for them and and i think you know oftentimes we as musicians lose track or just forget how how meaningful these these experiences are for fans for uh, totally for agree the audience and like they're the the conversations that you had with them one-on-one afterwards they're going to remember for years to come and when you go back to that city in a few years and you're playing in front of 1500 people in a club and they come up to you at the merch table afterwards and be like i was at that backyard concert and we (laughs) talked about this and i had my daughter and you'll be like i don't remember that at all but they will recite the exact conversation that you had with them because it was like such a special moment for them so i i there is definitely something to be said about it's not you know we, we as a society have become so obsessed with the numbers and everything is a number and you know we just see the numbers on the screen the number follower numbers play numbers view numbers da 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 that doesn't measure impact numbers on the screen on any of these social platforms or streaming services do not measure impact and so even though you might say like oh we only played to 1500 people we could another but the impact that you had on these 1500 these are going to be lifers these are your lifelong fans when it says it only takes a thousand true fans you might have your thousand from this first show if you continue to engage them and keep them you know going strong after this so it's 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 a it's a very we have to put numbers under perspective because not every number is weighted equally a a a house concert 
attendee is weighted very differently from a stream on Spotify that right. came from a playlist, you know? Yeah. So anyway. I think yeah. I, I would I just like that kind of made me think of one more kind of plug for doing this some kind of house show setup like this. Um mm -hmm. it ended up being at least personally and we, we talked about this so I think the rest of the guys agree a lot more sustainable than we thought it would in terms of like daily energy. Like we, we had this schedule laid out before us and we were like, Oh my God, how are we going to do like this, these four shows in a row? And then we have a day off and then we have another three or four in a row and then a day off. And then it seemed crazy, mm. but there's something about these house shows where we, you know, we'd only play music for about an hour to an hour, 15 sometimes. Um, but you're not, yeah, we weren't, we weren't like moving around in a club and like <laughs> screaming and doing that kind of thing. And it just felt like, it almost felt like when we would have a stretch of several off days, we'd be like more exhausted and tired because these nights where we mm, play a show yeah. would be so rejuvenating and sure. And yeah. That makes sense. Amazing. Well, we're going to have to call it there. Um, but I, I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show. What does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? I can go first. Uh, sure. Take it away, Tom. Yeah, I mean, for me, after experiencing really incredible things, for me, I'm being able to, you know, have the freedom and flexibility to make the kind of music that, that I and we want to make is extremely important. And also just having the ability to yeah to do things to basically create your own like schedule within mm. within music i mean I'm, I'm the kind of person that i like to do a lot of different things so having music be something that i can pursue really seriously as one of those things um is something that's really important to me like having the ability to do a tour like this to to go on tour with my friends and build build what we've been working on um and have it be sustainable that that is is really important and, and it was an experience that I'll never forget. I don't necessarily like for me that may not be more that may not be less valuable than like being a festival act. So for me, making it in the new mu in new music business is like being able to do create the kind of art that I want to create and also be able to, you know, do it in a way that feels good to me. Um, and right now that's so the structure that we just did that tour in is something that I would definitely want to keep doing in the future. Um, awesome. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at right now. Cool. Teo. Tommy, I'm right there, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, I, I'd say one of the things um, that felt like a, a, our own little slice of making it in the music industry was playing music for a lot of people. And then getting back home with like an, um, an amount of money sitting in our bank, in our band bank account and our personals, but really in our band bank account, that was an amount that, you know, we could look at and say, oh man, okay. Like we could pay to get our songs mixed. Like we could get the mm. mastered. We could actually make a couple music videos with this. And nice. like that. Uh, yeah, like having um, it, it's kind of like 
I mean, I, I think that was it is, hmm. is um, having the freedom to make what we want and be able to also collaborate with people um, and also, you know, value the work that they bring to the mix. Um, I think that was, that was a special thing. And that's what I, that's kind of, for me, what I see as making it is being able to make the kind of music that I want to make with the people I'm making it with. Um, and, and also, yeah, uh, that's it. Cool. Teo, Tommy, more fatter. Thank you so much. This is great. Thanks, Ari. Right, yeah. to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.